liberal arts sports talk sports talk in the last place you would expect it and truly in the last place you would expect it as we have now transitioned from our lovely recording studio in chicago hall to a talk now here over zoom i have professor alex cuffer and professor justin patch with me here today my name is mac Liederman, contributing editor for the misc and we have a lot to talk about just based off the pure lack of things we probably have to talk about with the world of sports right now so thank you guys both for agreeing to do another show here of course, my pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Maybe we can just start. I'm just interested in kind of, you know, professors everywhere have been deeply impacted by, you know, this transition to Zoom, whether you guys are podcasters or not. So how has this experience really been like from your perspective so far? So it's been a lot of work and a lot of sort of unknown. Um, a little bit sort of talking into the void where we're not exactly sure how it's going for students and they don't know how, what, how they're supposed to react. So it's been sort of trying to do what's the best for them, but having absolutely no clue how that's all going. So it's this great experiment sort of for everyone where nobody really knows standards and behavior. You know, our years of training have sort of fallen by the wayside just a bit. Yeah, I mean, I think the one word that keeps coming up when I talk about this with my colleagues is unsatisfying. Yeah. And that, I mean, think about it this way. Like if you're a performer and you're playing without an audience, you don't get that feedback. Even classical musicians, when you're playing with a, an audience that's silent, you can still see faces. Yeah. Um, seeing digital faces is not the same, and lecturing into your computer is not the same, and um, in-class discussions are often truncated and people's uh, technology fails. And I think for everybody, it, it is an unsatisfying experience. I would have to agree with you on that one, but I guess it's still nice that we can still, you know, connect in some way possible. So I can't say that our show will be exactly the same as it was before, but I guess we're both here to try our best, right? Absolutely. I think another kind of narrative coming out of all this thing is just all the ample free time, or maybe not for you guys, as you kind of have to do more prep for your classes and all that. But, you know, with this free time that isn't kind of filled with the void of sports, uh, you know, the, the amount of sports we're usually consuming on a daily basis what have you guys been up to instead not a lot of sports content actually um a lot of movie watching but like classic hollywood stuff um you know i've been sort of paying attention to things like espn to see how they're filling time because without live sports they're really sort of struggling and it's interesting to think about a lot of it sort of reruns uh things like 30 for 30 series they're moving up espn is moving up the michael jordan series but otherwise it's a lot of sort of what if Right, so ESPN every day sort of rerunning like the best of the NCAA tournament. So still trying to match the sports schedule with things like who's the greatest NCAA tournament player of all time. I think they had, you know, Jordan versus Magic Johnson at the end or something like that. So really sort of trying to kind of make up theoretical what-ifs just to fill the airtime. 
And otherwise, again, think a lot what could have been. You know, Scott Van Pelt, I tune into his sports center every so often sort of honoring seniors, right, high school or college seniors whose kind of magical seasons were truncated. So think about sort of how they're just trying to extend these narratives with just the complete and utter lack of content here. Um, so that's, I, I think, sort of what's really interesting here. And two, how they try to keep fans engaged, the different ways in which they're doing it, I think is really sort of interesting and telling. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's also telling to me how much people are coming to grips with um, the closest they feel to figures in the media. Yeah. Right? Where, where, where some of the podcasters I like to listen to have said they've gotten a lot of emails and a lot of DMs and tweets about people saying, you know, how important it is to hear their voices, even if it's not sports, right? How much people look forward to listening to, to First Take and Mina Kimes and, you know, Bomani Jones and those guys. Like, we do, I think the reality is that sports talk is not as so much about sports. I mean, it is about sports, but it's also about relationships, love them or hate them, that you have with the actual individuals, yeah. right? Love them or hate them. People listen to, to, to Bo and to Will Kane and to Stephen A. Smith. And in some ways, and I think Stephen A. is a great example of this, right? <laughs> the more polarizing, uh, the more interested we are in them. We, we want to hear the hot takes. We want to look at the radio and be like, Stephen A., man, you are out of your mind. <laughs> but if it weren't for that hot take, man, like, it would be boring. Right. Yeah. And, so and, and I, the hot I, take perpetuates sort of further narratives, Right. Everyone that has to discuss, do you agree with Stephen A's opinion of James Dolan? So that perpetuates the content, and then it gets back to him, and then he argues. You know, Dan Levertard will sort of talk about Stephen A. Smith, and then Stephen A will sort of call in, and they'll fight, and that produces more content. It's a sort of endless cycle of content all within sort of ESPN. Yeah, so I mean, the short answer is I've still been going to ESPN, listening to podcasts, I've learned way more about free agency and collective bargaining than yeah. I ever thought I would know. I mean, whew, the NFL collective bargaining thing, man, I listened to a lot of hours about that that I probably would not have before because it would have been March Madness. Right. That's what I'm going to say. Like the business of sports, this is like the center core of sports media. These contracts, free agency, sort of all this stuff, this moves to the center because there's nothing else. Like the amount of time devoted to like Brady's contracts and free agent signings and all this stuff. And the free agent signings are frankly kind of pretty marginal NFL players. It takes up so much space. So like the enjoyment of sports isn't like the teams going against each other. It's the business that has really sort of moved to the center stage. And you realize how foundational it is to just sports culture in general, I'd say. And, and as a sort of a side on this, so, you know, my brother's got his kids at home because, you know, no school and everything like that. And so he's thinking about, um, you know, things, activities to do with his kids so they can exercise, you know, the math and all that kind of stuff. And so he had his son putting together a team in free agency, ah. saying, this is the cap. These are the available players. Like, who do you sign to get him to think about math and to think about value and think about, you know, strategy and all that. And I think part of it was that, like, instinctually when he gets back from work, he puts on ESPN and it's nothing but free agency. <laughs> so then you're like, Oh, okay. I guess uh, with my 10 year old and we're working on math and we're doing free agency. Yeah. It's good. And this way you avoid all like the major sports scandals, right? 
all the drug abuse and people getting arrested. You don't have any of that. It's just sort of contracts and numbers. Although we do have AB working out with uh, Lamar Jackson. So that's a, that's the whole thing right there. Two of them are standing six feet, of, feet apart from each other as they, as they practice. But um, yeah, I think it's interesting. I'm sure a bunch of the older kids are kind of playing GM themselves on their Xbox, uh, but kind of just like this search for familiarity or just any sort of sports content in any place we get it kind of, you know, NFL free agency. And, you know, we've been able to pierce kind of into NBA collective bargaining agreements just based on the fallout of this. But after that, when we reach like month three or four of, you know, everyone in self-isolation, like when does the well of things that there are to talk about run dry and when are just the pundits kind of screaming at each other? When does that grow tiresome to all sports fans? And how do we fill the gap? I, I think they're trying to sort of things like the NFL draft, right? Big deal this year, it was going to be in Las Vegas. You know, they were going to sort of involve the casinos, all of this stuff. But there's still, it seems like going forward with the draft, just with no people there, right? Sort of a distance mm-hmm. draft. So they will sort of perpetuate kind of new stuff, even without the content. And I think the NFL has been really good at this, right? Think about how much we're talking about like the CBA and, 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 you know, when there's literally no material here. So there's still sort of free agency is timed very, in a very particular way to sort of maximize air coverage. The draft is sort of, you know, set in the schedule to maximize the amount of media coverage it's going to get. So even if they're not there, even if the players aren't in the green room, all this stuff, it'll sort of create the cycle. And I think the NFL is really going to dominate all of this stuff right now. So how much money do you think the sports book is going to pick up on the draft? (laughs) Because wow. you can bet on that. You can Too bet much. on whose players, and there's seven rounds that you can bet on. And right now, there is nothing happening right there. I don't think you can, actually. Like 20 years ago, you could have. But the Las Vegas, the industry, they changed it so you can only bet on live sporting events. You used to be able to bet on things like presidential elections. You can't do that anymore in the U.S. Or things like the World Series of Poker. Mm-hmm. Like Binions would have the tournament, and you could sort of go to the book and sort of bet on this. Nowadays, they sort of made it illegal because you could influence it, right? Mm -hmm. You could theoretically influence a presidential election. But live sporting events, they say, this is okay. So I I don't think you can bet on the draft anymore because if you have insider knowledge, you can make a whole lot of money. Um, So I I don't know if you can, but if you go online and go to like England, those places, then I think you can. It's an interesting question to see how they're going to sort of do this. Yeah, because typically it'd be like, you know, who, who's the top quarterback taken? Who's the top wide receiver? Right. Blah, 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 blah. But now when you've got no sports and you've got seven rounds, right. game on. The place to look is the daily fantasy websites. I got an email, I don't know, DraftKings or FanDuel, one of them, saying that they have leagues now for soap operas and wrestling. So they are really, really hard up. And you talk about, like, betting on wrestling. Seems like a bad idea. Seems like you may be able to sort of make some money if you're a little bit crooked. Yeah. So it's a very sort of interesting thing how like daily fantasy sites, which certainly are not regulated in the same way, they seem to be sort of playing around a little bit more mm-hmm. than like the Vegas sports books. You can bet on this new NBA uh, tournament. Apparently they're doing if all 30 teams of one representative, they're going to kind of replicate this competitive edge, I guess all of we all that we all need right now and have, um, the uh, 2K tournament, yeah, that's going to be broadcasted on actual ESPN. And I think it's interesting to see kind of with this lack of real live sports, there's been 
an explosion in esports. All those stocks are shooting all the way up. Yeah, yeah. I believe that. I have, I have absolutely zero intention of ever watching somebody else play a video game. But they want you to because the NBA is like invested in these NBA oh, yeah. leagues. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and and that's fine. It's and people do enjoy watching other people play video games. Right. What I want is I want the audio of Patrick Beverly just talking smack to yes. everybody. <laughs> what, I, what I want to know is if I, were, if I were the NBA, right, so you get a certain shelf life off of this, what I would do is I would take all that audio of dudes talking smack <laughs> and I would go to like DJs and be like, yo, how much are you going to pay me to license out like so-and-so's like I jammed it in your face catchphrase? Because you can do that. You can go ahead and just license the audio from that tournament, <laughs> and people will pick that. I mean, there's DJs on YouTube that are mixing for like eight hours a day, man. They need content, too. <laughs> Help the people out. I think totally you'll find out, though, how dirty and like how vile sort of the smack talk is. It's not hey, all friendly. Hey, it's, it, it's going to come on after 8 p.m. That's fine. <laughs> it's like the return Idiot. of the and one tournaments yes 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 that is exactly what the people need right now the people need and one <laughs> so I, I did find the email and you can see um it's from FanDuel. a bunch of these are free so it's fantasy top chef fantasy drone racing fantasy horse racing enba <laughs> fantasy wrestling and enfl so they're really trying to get people sort of invested in all these ridiculous ways to like bet on sports. Okay, can I just say right now, I'm happy that dog racing wasn't on there. Because <laughs> it's, it's been a long fight to get rid of dog racing. Yeah. And this would have been the moment where there could have been a lot of backsliding. And so I am grateful that that has not happened. No, you're right. I haven't heard anything about dog and horse racing during this period. I read an article about horse racing that said, you know, from a sport on the edge to like the 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 biggest show in town horse racing okay so i was like yeah hey, hey, hey if you got an addiction anything's right. good enough yeah i, I guess so <laughs> but um jp I, I think i think your point kind of raises um a larger idea maybe dj's not involved this time but the idea how the nba is kind of looking to in other leagues as well to create as much user generated content as possible from their players and this seems to be kind of you know a larger shift just in sports media in general where they're asking rather than putting the camera in their faces, there's some, there's a more level of intimacy with having these players produce their own things. And I saw something like LeBron James go to Twitter the other day and be like, I want to like break down. I'm thinking about breaking down the plays of like my greatest games in my career. Like, let me know what you think. So I think as this keeps going on, we may see more creative ways that the leagues are looking into leveraging their players and the things they can produce from home. Yeah, and I give props to Steph Curry, right? When that whole thing came out that like young people are not following the stay-at-home orders and he, he live-streamed a conversation between him and Anthony Fauci, the, the sort of guru of public health, on his Twitter feed and got like millions of people to watch. Like there is a way that, that professional sports has leveraged its fan base for uh, public safety, which is something that I do appreciate, especially because... Uh, Steph Curry probably has way more people aged 14 to 28 following him than uh, the CDC does. Yeah, I think, you know, the NBA had a bit of a rough go, like Rudy Gobert sort of not taking it seriously, and then jazz players getting it. But since then, you have somebody like Steph Curry and also Carl Anthony Towns. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, with his mom. You know, this really sort of emotional video talking about his mother, 
is in a coma or certainly on a, a ventilator because of this. And I think trying to get their target audience to take it seriously. So, so it is sort of this interesting mix with people trying to sort of, athletes trying to get sort of these PSAs out there and this information with things like LeBron and sort of, you know, encouraging his fan base and trying to reach out directly. So it's this really interesting sort of combination because the athletes, I think, too, kind of are looking for ways to leverage their fandom, both for their own brand, as it were, and for kind of this larger cultural context. Yeah. And I haven't seen much with other athletes sort of in other sports, right, really trying to sort of leverage their stardom in the same way. Yeah. I think the NBA has kind of been at the forefront of that. And um, it, I think, like, given how sports has been largely conceptualized as like a form of like leisure time, like the fact that these athletes are coming out and making these statements like is a large testament to the actual gravity of the problem. And what I really liked about the um, interview with Dr. Fauci that JP just mentioned is that like, usually when we see him on TV, he's largely playing like backtracking with Donald Trump and correcting him every five minutes. But someone like Steph Curry, who's just like so universally, kind of loved as a figure and as an athlete like he can walk into that interview and take the stance of like a concerned citizen or a regular concerned sports fan and the information that comes out of that type of exchange is much more clear than say you know donald trump kind of blathering at the podium some more yeah and even fauci sort of just talking to him you know talking to himself on instagram would never have that sort of reach and i think what justin was saying in terms of the audience right this is so important this effort to sort of not just say it's people over 60 um, if you watch TV now, you constantly see sort of these ads basically telling young people, like, you need to be careful because you will give it to somebody older. Yeah. Um, so to have sort of targeting this particular audience, I think, is really interesting. Tells you a lot about the NBA's sort of fan base, though, too, because they know exactly who they're sort of targeting this at. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, look, I've been impressed by and large with the sports world, particularly uh, the NBA, because it was happening at that moment. Um, and, you know, you, the NCAA does a lot of things wrong, but they, they did it right when it came to public safety. Um, mm -hmm. And they've been hyper-responsive, and they've been very careful about messaging, and they have taken this issue very, very, very seriously. And so, um, you know, it, it, it's sort of strange to look at sports as a, as a public health leader, but when we think about sports in the cultural sense. And I think Frank DeFord gave a really good commentary when, when Jason Collins came out and he said, you know, sports, um, you know, Hank Greenberg was playing in the pros at a time when Jews weren't accepted. Like Jackie Robinson was playing in pros during, during segregation. He was like, there have been moments, a lot of moments in American history where sports has been a cultural leader. So you know, I think a lot of us are pleasantly surprised at how seriously the NBA has taken this and in Major League Baseball and the NFL and all that. But when we think about the big picture, like sports has been a cultural leader in, in, in a great many ways. And this is another way that we're seeing that. Yeah. And, you know, the NBA was the first league to shut down. And this was sort of relatively early on. And before, you know, the Las Vegas casinos and Disney World and sort of these other places decided to sort of suspend operations. So I, I think and, and this huge sort of incredible sort of, uh, you know, cost financially into the players. And I think it's something that is going to be remembered. Well, and, and that Mark Cuban in the press conference yeah. that he said we're suspending operations said, I have 3,000 employees that, that are vendors and all that, and they need to eat. 
And so we're doing our best to make sure that people stay on payroll, even if we're not generating revenue. And, and so he was, he and you know, Kevin Love came out and Giannis Antetokounmpo came out and said, we're going to put money down. Yeah. They were talking about these contractors and wage laborers having a hard time making ends meet well before that discourse became national. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Which does tell you something about, you know, even though Mark Cuban runs a, a three or 3,500 person operation, that there is a sense of civic obligation within, within that, that organization that's important. Yeah. I, I think one interesting thing, to, uh, Zion sort of came out as well, sort of part of this group to give a lot of money to sort of, you know, the concession workers and things like that. But the owner of the Pelicans got a lot of grief because they weren't willing to sort of commit. Mm-hmm. And I think they backtracked. Yeah. I know the owner of the Sixers, same sort of thing. They were going to lay off some of their employees or furlough them. And pressure got them to back off. Yeah, the owner of the Bruins was about to do that too. Yeah. So there's been sort of a sense of responsiveness. Even, you know, some are taking the lead and they deserve a lot of credit like Cuban. But even when they weren't willing to do so, public pressure and league pressure mm-hmm. has sort of convinced them to at least for now sort of change their minds. So the sense of sort of responsiveness. Nobody wants to be the Red Sox, right? Nobody wants to be the last team to integrate. So you don't <laughs> want to sort of have things like that. So they're willing to at least sort of change Maybe not for the best intentions, but still sort of willing. We should mention to the Patriots, right? Um, who just, was it like yesterday? Sort of they flew in like a million masks from China. So things like that. So it's really interesting to think about sort of like an awareness of their social responsibility. Yeah. Um, and an understanding of sort of their role in history almost here as well. Yeah. And the, and the idea that, that, that buying goodwill is always the right thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm, it's a business decision. Don't get me wrong. No doubt. But I, I think people remember, you know, I was just looking today, people are like making sites of companies that have been treating their employees well. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, like Hobby Lobby, which just sort of laid off everyone with no health care, who've been treating them terribly. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to think about how people are already sort of setting up to remember sort of what happens, you know, six months from now when this is all over, mm-hmm. how these companies and executives sort of treated their employees. Yeah, so I also think it's um, interesting, like, given kind of how, you know, Zion and individual players have stepped up and Mark Cuban, how that is kind of like a reflection on how America more in general might be dealing with this issue of coronavirus, like this total reliance on private individuals and private sectors to make these incredibly generous donations rather than the organizations themselves stepping up and protecting their workers or, you know, the White House stepping up and protecting every citizen in the country, too. Right. It, it shouldn't be the Patriots bringing in masks from China. Yeah, I mean, but, I, but, but I think this to me is a demonstration about responsiveness. And I think that on the macro level, politics has lost its responsiveness to everyday people. Yeah. And I think more than anything, you're looking at sports as being something that's hyper-local, as an example of the, the, the obligation and the pressure to be responsive. And then you look at national politics and the pressure and obligation is not to be responsive to everybody. It's to be responsive to, you know, your donors and lobbyists. And we saw that with the, with the bailout bill. So yeah. if you want a lesson in responsiveness and civics, I think sports is, is showing us a great deal at this moment. And I think you have a bunch of very smart businessmen who sort of understand this. And this is sort of what will remain, right? You know, Kraft sort of donating a million bucks to Trump, who then sort of dissembles parts of the government that would be valuable, 
here that gets forgotten by the fact that he's bringing in these masks and things like that. Yeah. It's a really sort of interesting back and forth here um, between these. And so, you know, this notion of responsiveness and somebody like Zion and Yana sort of buying this great will that will be remembered after, I I think is really sort of telling about branding and stuff like that. Um, and how good they are at this. Oh, the fact that's a very cynical take, but well, the fact that we remember Rod Carew more yeah. as a humanitarian than we do as a great baseball player, which he was both. But it's that legacy as a humanitarian that has come. I mean, obviously, he died during a trip and everything. But you think of Clemente, oh, Roberto Clemente, yeah. That, but I was that, thinking that. you mentioned Jackie Robinson, and you have Pee Wee Reese, right? The Dodgers mm-hmm. shortstop, this guy yeah, from yeah. Kentucky, who puts his arm around. Jackie Robinson on the field. And this is like this huge moment. Mm-hmm. And you have sort of these, you know, these players who didn't, you know, Pee Wee Reese, of course, never sacrificed what Jackie did, but this idea of sort of helping and being a part of this. Mm-hmm. And this is what gets sort of remembered. Yeah. Versus a lot of the people who were sort of deeply abusive towards Robinson. Mm-hmm. And I think you have players who sort of understand this. And Zion Williams, how old is he? 18, whatever he is? He's 19. Something like that. Coming into the league right away. And saying, I'm going to sort of give money to these workers, like how smart they are with this. And, and it's sort of, it's great for the workers and it's good business practice. Oh, yeah. And if, and if he wants the New Orleans Pelicans to be his team, yeah. boy, he, he just bought a big share in that team, in that yeah. Absolutely. You think about sort of, you know, the work of the community and it's a very, very smart way to sort of do this. Yeah, Absolutely. When kind of we take a step back at this and, you know, I think this moment will hopefully open up a larger moment where we kind of reflect on all our systems and how we can improve our society and how much we people will kind of turn to how sports has been responsive during this moment as kind of like a political counterpunch to, you know, the questions that now probably need to be addressed in larger society. We will remember nothing. Yes. We will remember nothing. That is we we should take your optimistic view over my <laughs> agent cynicism. Okay, okay, okay. I'm just I'm just trying to hold out hope wherever I, wherever I can at this point. But um, one thing I'm not super happy about or definitely cynical about is the fact that we don't have any live sports right now to enjoy. I have this stat here that says for like the first time in like forever, um, live sports have fallen out of the 50 most watched cable programs on television, which uh-huh. makes sense because you know there are no live sports. Yeah. But um, something I've been turning to and I think leagues have been turning toward too is replaying kind of classic and old games, which, you know, is comforting whenever you can kind of – I never watched Michael Jordan play live. I had the chance to actually watch a full Michael Jordan game and see him, like, cook from the elbow and see the style of basketball, you know, I had never kind of experienced directly before. Um, but kind of the novelty of that wears off quickly. Do you think live uh, old classic games is a decent plug-in for now and – what do you think is kind of lost, you know, when consuming, you know, an old game on record versus kind of any old live game you can just turn on your television? So I, I think, you know, there's been sort of this longstanding market really from the beginning of TV for sort of older sports content. The thing is, though, it's never really survived on its own. So like you have a show like Sports Album in the late 1940s, Frederick Ziv would sort of take these old newsreels, package them into five minute blocks and sell them to local stations, and they would air it around live baseball games. So it would always sort of serve as like this frame for new content. You have something like ESPN Classic, which has been around for a while, but it's still sort of mostly used as a way for ESPN to sort of capitalize on their archive and as a supplement for ESPN and ESPN2. So I I think they're really struggling here because I don't know how much of a draw it is on its own. 
I think it always is like if you play with new sort of documentaries and stuff like that, but that's expensive and it takes time. So when they show, you know, The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan series, I'm sure they'll have all his greatest games. And then people will watch. I don't know, like, independently how much people will tune in, even if they're super hard up for new material. They'll go to Tiger King, stuff like that. You know what I really want to watch? I want to watch a marathon of, like, the best 30 for 30 episodes, but done Mystery Science Theater 3000 with, like... (laughs) Dan Levitard and like Stephen A. Smith just like talking over the documentary and totally making fun of it. <laughs> like I would, I would, you know, go ahead on ESP and Twitter and poll the people about what their 10 favorite like 30 for 30s are. And then have Dan Levitard and Stephen A. Smith be like <laughs> mystery science theater and just completely clown them. Well, ESPN would do this with, I don't know if you ever saw Cheap Seats. <laughs> um, which I've been sort of kind of writing something forever on where they take the sort of ESPN archival material, like the dog shows and the early world series of poker, all like the really ridiculous sports. And they'd have the Sklar brothers just sort of joking over it. And he had all these sort of great comedians who would sort of stop by and redu- do ridiculous things. But I think they tended to do this for stuff that was no longer commercially viable. Mm-hmm. They would never have like MLB games or NFL games, but, like NFL superstars, where there was one like some pool competition with NFL players that they would just laugh at. So if they would do stuff like that, I think they would never do it for new content, but older stuff if they could do it. Oh yeah, the, that, that old the old thirty for thirty, uh, so the silver and black, yeah, with Ice Cube narrating about the Raiders. Oh my God, that would be <laughs> awesome! Like that would be absolute gold. I mean, even with like last year's. And, uh, NFL draft as a run-up to this year's NFL draft when they could just just out there making fun of the suits that these dudes wore. Like, just that. Just that would be hilarious. You know, you could have Smith and Dapper Dan just out there making fun of the couture that happens in, in like, the drafts. I would watch that. I would absolutely watch that. But then none of those players will ever give an interview to ESPN again. Hey. Oh, amazing. Everybody understands you need to create content. Desperate times call for desperate content. Hey, look, man, if you've got a clown, you're like 20-year-old self, it's fine. <laughs> How many 20, 20-year-olds take themselves or not that serious that they could do that? Well, maybe, it, it, look, man, maybe if you went far enough back that the yeah. guys you were making fun of are already on their second contract so that like, right. they, they feel a, a sense of security about who they are as people, it's fine. I, I, I think it's a great idea. I just don't know practically. They're going to lose access to players, so they'll never do it. Or you but. could just go through the draft and have a special edition on just like the best suits of the draft ever. Because <laughs> that would also be idea. awesome. Bring back like Keith Olbermann and Dan Levertard. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Just to yes. get mean and vicious. Uh, that I would definitely watch it. I would set the DVR for that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I guess I guess ESPN is taking any suggestions they can get at this point. So maybe we could get both of you in front of some executives uh, really soon. You should do it so you get a producer's credit. That's your way in. <laughs> I'm in. Okay, there you go. <laughs> ESPN um, draft couture. We got to do it. <laughs> maybe they can give us like a prime time uh, time slot on on television now too. Yeah. Maybe maybe we're ready to step up. Oh yeah, they're clearly desperate for any new content. Um, and I think, you know, the sort of taking old stuff and just rerunning it would be phenomenal. 
Yeah. I, yeah. I was I had Food Network on last night and they had this Guy Fieri show, like this tournament, tournament of champions, where him and his son were watching at home commenting on it. Even though it's a show that came out last week. So they're clearly sort of just anything they can do cheaply and easily, they'll do yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Anything that sticks to the wall. And I think it's increasingly difficult now with all the people and all the money that was on the line with the Olympics too, now being postponed a full year. Yeah. I can't imagine being like an agent or someone kind of involved with producing the media for that. I'm sure that takes years and years of planning. And oh, so yeah. there's that large gap. I just wonder what possibly could be the fallout from an Olympics like that's in limbo for the first time in, you know, forever. Yeah. Um, it's a good question. I, I don't know things like, what happens with ESPN's TV contracts? How does that sort of get realigned? Um, they talked a little bit, I know with like athlete contracts, sort of the act of God, mm-hmm. they can get out some stuff, but I don't know with these TV contracts, ESPN's been sort of laying off a lot of people anyways. And this could be a real killer. Yeah. So I don't know. This is a good question. Um, but I, I don't know, you know, the media industries, there hasn't been too much discussion yet. Um, it's gonna, it's taken a hit and it will continue to do so, but what's going to happen? I think a lot more attention has been paid to musicians right now. Yeah. Everyone's gigs are getting canceled. I kind of wonder how many people are just recording albums in their home studios and we'll see a bunch of stuff start getting uploaded to SoundCloud or YouTube or Spotify at some point within the next month or so. Right. But will they do that if they can't support it with live tours and things like that? I, don't know. I think at this point, they're just going to put it out there because they know they're going to get ears. People right. are dying for new stuff. Yeah. I saw uh, Disney, speaking of ESPN, you know, Disney, they had Onward, their new Pixar film. Mm-hmm. They're putting, it was on pay-per-view and they're putting on Disney Plus, their streaming service, like today or tomorrow. So they're, I think they're just sort of giving up and saying, you know, we can't make money from the first release window, so we'll just throw it online. Or they're saying if if we get subscribers to Disney Plus because of this, we'll right. we'll make we'll make it up. Yeah, I, I can't see that really happening, but I, I think they're just sort of taking what they can get at this yeah. point. Um, it'll be it's interesting how a lot of these streaming services have gone to kind of reduce or free content, while Disney has kept their things still under the paywall, and ESPN Plus as well have been kind of continue to hold all the thirty for thirties hostage. Mm-hmm. I wonder, you know, how long this kind of philanthropist sense in media will continue and if it will die out or more people will eventually add on to it. It's interesting thinking of like, you know, your first question about distance learning, how the first few weeks I was getting all these emails like ProQuest is free, Project Muse is free, Adobe made their entire creative suite free, freely available for students, I think until sort of sometime in May. I think that's going to dry up because they need to make money too. Mm-hmm. Um, I know ESPN and, you know, Disney Plus, they've been advertising very heavily, I think, to get sort of people in. I sort of subscribed last week for the first time because I want stuff to watch as well. And I want to see the 30 for 30s. Um, so I, I don't know because I think they need some revenue, however they get it. Mm-hmm. I don't think like newspapers, the coronavirus coverage is free. Yeah. But otherwise it's mm-hmm. not. So I don't yeah. know. Uh, bills need to be paid somehow. and. You know, yeah. all these companies are taking losses everywhere. So, who knows? I think sports mm-hmm. might be a little okay. different because they tend to be owned by billionaires, right? Yeah. Who have sort of the financial means to kind of weather a long storm. But I don't know if these huge companies like Disney could do that for months and months. 
yeah, we'll kind of see what the bounce back is um, hope going forward. I guess it's just we're kind of in the realm of uncertainty for right now. But something we do know for certain is that Tom Brady uh, will be a Tampa Bay Buccaneer next year. And uh, JP, being kind of the lone Patriots fan on this podcast, I'd be interested to hear any thoughts, predictions, or crazy analysis or theories that you have kind of stewing over ever since Tom Brady jump strip. <laughs> well, I mean, look, it, it, I and I was emailing with uh, with Corey Holton, who's our soccer coach, who's a, who's also from New England. She's from Vermont, and I was we were just like, look, it's been twenty really, really, really good years. Um, we've had more Super Bowl appearances in those twenty years than most teams have had in the duration of their life in the NFL. Um we've gone to the playoffs almost every year. We've competed for the AFC title more often than most teams ever have. Like at this point, I don't think Tom Brady owes me anything. Um, And so if he feels like he needs to move on, if he felt like the Patriots and Bill Belichick weren't doing what they needed for him, then so be it. I can't be mad. I'm, I'm a little disappointed, but I'm not mad. Um, that being said, like I'm a Patriots fan first and foremost, and Tom Brady um, was not the first Patriot I ever loved and followed very intensely. And so, you know, he, Tom Brady, and I, I was telling you guys this early, right? Tom Brady will never mean as much to me as Mosey Tatupu. That's, <laughs> that's real fandom right there when I'm about Mosey Tatupu and say that Mosey Tatupu was my favorite Patriot May he rest in peace. Shout out to Lofa Tatupu. Like, he will always be my favorite patron. And so, like, and I was disappointed when he left and did his last contract with the Rams. Um, but, like, I'm, I'm not of the age where Tom Brady defined the Patriots for me. Right? The mm-hmm. Patriots for me were, were defined by Tony Franklin, Steve Brogan, um, uh, Andre Tippett, who's an absolute monster, like uh, Irving Fryer, like it was those guys who were the Patriots to me, and so I will always, I will still be a Patriots fan, no matter what. You Can know? I ask you a question, Justin? Yeah. Would you take like a six and ten season and have Brady stick around for another year, or would you rather a new quarterback and they make the playoffs? Oh, rather a new quarterback and they make the playoffs. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's the wins that matter. Okay. And if, if they get wins with somebody else, great. If they don't get wins, but they look like they're making a good faith effort to rebuild and start over again, so be it. We haven't had to go through that since, um, since Drew Bledsoe was drafted. And that was when I was in high school. Okay. Right. So it's been a lot of years <laughs> since the Patriots have had to go through a genuine rebuilding phase. Right. Yeah. And so... If, if, if I can look, I think Bledsoe was drafted my sophomore year in high school. So okay. that would have been 93. Wow. So, yo, mm-hmm. it's been 27 years since the Patriots have had a rebuilding year. Right. <laughs> it, it, if we got to have one or two or three or even four, hey, whatever, man. The, the Browns have been rebuilding since they got reestablished after <laughs> the Ravens left town, right? The, the Cincinnati Bengals are on permanent rebuild. Like Cincinnati Bengals <laughs> are like that car that your neighbor got in his driveway on blocks. He said he's working on, and you're like, that car's been there for 20 years. 
that's the Cincinnati Bengals, yeah. right? That hasn't happened to me, right? The only bad period we had was aging Steve Grogan, and they went out and they drafted Tony Eason in the <laughs> best quarterback class in NFL history. We could have had John Elway. We could have had Dan Marino, and they picked Tony Eason. Come on now. I'm still mad about that. Yeah, I can tell. You guys have so little to be mad about as Patriots fans. Such tiny little things. Worst loss in Super Bowl history. I mean, the, the, the Bears, that was ugly. Woo! Woo! But the Patriots do have the most losses in Super Bowl history, right? One, two, five. Uh, wow. Pats have lost five Super Bowls. We lost more Super Bowls than most teams have won. No, no. Don't be happy about that. Be mad about it. Be sad. <laughs> wait, wait, JP, I got a question for you. Um, speaking on behalf of the younger generation, you know, maybe you're not quite beat up over Brady leaving, but what do you say to all the Patriots fans that grown up only ever knowing Brady as their quarterback, all those people kind of, you know, hey. drunk outside Gillette Stadium? Like, what do, you, what do you have to say to them? You know what Brady's like? Brady's like that first girlfriend that you loved. And then they <laughs> left you, and you were heartbroken. And, hey, there will be others. Sometimes <laughs> there will be two in one year. It happens, right? Like, <laughs> you, you got to move on. It's like that first car you got that you loved. A- after a certain number of years, that car is going to be unserviceable, and you got to move on. This <laughs> happens. This is part of the circle of life, man. <laughs> that is a brutal metaphor unserviceable so let's just move on but you don't have another ride you barely have like a skateboard with two wheels at this point no, I, think, I think Jared Stidham legit is like a Vespa right you can't take him on the highway but you can get you know anywhere within two miles you can get there <laughs> and then when you look under the hood it could be all crap at, at the end of the day though wait did they cut Stidham who did they cut did they cut one of the quarterbacks? Well, they signed Brian Hoyer, which I was like, come on now. Right. <laughs> but I think now. they cut somebody, one of their like two quarter, or three quarterbacks. Who knows? Uh, Alex, you and Brian Hoyer have the same haircut. We do. As does New Rockney and Eric von Stroheim. <laughs> Congratulations. And, Eric, and Uncle Fester, if you really want to get technical. <laughs> yeah, well, the list keeps going. Um, I feel like. I feel like we can kind of end this on JP's positive note for the time being, and maybe we can do more podcasts in the future. Um, just as a parting shot here at Liberal Arts Sports Talk, um, you know, we're talking about free agency right now, but eventually your free agency is going to be over. Can you predict one thing you think the guys on first take are going to shout about in the future when more things dry up or that ESPN is going to be trying to be clinging to? Like, what are future sports stories look like in this age of coronavirus? You know, they look like a big, bald, white guy named uh, Dana White. (laughs) Yeah. Because, I mean, and and this is one of those things early on, Max Kellerman said, the number of people who need to be coronavirus tested in order to have a fight is very minimal. I think he he eyeballed it at about 24 people. He was like, you can do that and you can have a televised UFC event. And for the fighters, it's a little bit unsatisfying because you love having the crowd there. You can still do it. And I think Dana White is looking around and saying, this is that moment where the UFC will be 
the biggest show in town, and I'm going to take advantage of it. I, I think there's a big thing with the UFC, and that's what I was thinking as well. Probably be the first sport to sort of open up. One, it's it's very few people, sort of individual. It's control. It's singularly controlled, unlike say boxing. It's also much more international than all these other sports, where Dana White can go to other countries, was sort of planning it fairly early on as well. So I think sort of that international role here is going to play sort of some important sense if the U.S. continues to be behind on things like testing. Um, we should probably also know that Dana White's sort of a conservative, right? A diehard sort of Trump supporter. And their sort of relationship to the coronavirus and willingness to sort of adhere to sort of a lot of the regulations that have been imposed, you know, it's a bit dicier than, say, the NBA. Um, so I, I think a willingness to sort of push some of these boundaries, perhaps, um, with something like the UFC. I, yeah. I, that was my thought, too, and really sort of open up first. Um, mm. I think by a matter of, like, weeks, if not months, than other sports. Well, you have seen... Like, oh, go ahead, sorry. Well, UFC 249 is still scheduled to move forward, even though, okay. as of right now, Khabib uh, Nuragamedov said he can't make it because he can't get out of wherever he is. Okay. So, um, so that is that is happening, right? But I know they were saying for they're sort of planning for spring training. How much time do they need to restart the season? They're saying at least a month. I'm sure whatever happens with the NBA season, it'll take at least a couple of weeks to get everything sort of restarted. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think it's sort of this ability to quickly go, even if they don't have their top tier fighters. I don't think it really matters, right? For UFC, but that's the thing with UFC is you can actually have non-championship fighters, which is typical for most of the card. You're only going to have maybe two championship fights and the whole rest of the card is contenders. Right. That model can still be in place. Yeah. And if you're smart, don't even bother with pay-per-view. Just get it out there. Yeah. So this is all that is discussed. Yeah. Do so quickly. Yeah. yeah. Something yeah. else interesting that could happen, um, maybe like the Chinese Basketball Association, like that league reopens up before actual American leagues open up. Maybe Japanese baseball starts up. Like we could be watching a washed up Lance Stevenson shoot 40 shots a game on ESPN one or even ABC in like the very near future. Or like Korean baseball. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like that, very much are open up. I wonder if you'd have sort of Americans going over there, not just, you know, the Lance Stevensons of the world, uh, maybe not LeBron and Steph Curry, but kind of like the middle tier, just mm -hmm. going over to make money and also just to play. Think about yeah. like the WNBA. How many of them normally go to places like Russia mm -hmm. because they have money, they have you know leagues, they have the infrastructure. So players going to sort of Korea to get tuned up for the MLB season, but also because they can just do it. Although, man, the 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 prospect of getting a disease that's going to give you lung damage. Even if you even if you survive, maybe enough to sort of ward people off of that idea. Yeah, I, there was sort of a lot of discussion. I saw like in newspapers today, like even if the case numbers go down, when will people start returning back to normal? It's going to be a while. Yeah, it's going to be a while. So agreed. That's a very good point. Well, it looks like there won't be much sports, I guess, on that note for us to really talk about in the future. But hopefully, we can kind of keep the um, topic of the podcast going, as you know. Sports is so much bigger than just sports, so hopefully there'll be many more things to talk about down the line. But for now, I think this is probably a good place to sign off. Um, you've been listening to Liberal Arts Sports Talk. My name is Matt Lederman, contributing editor for The MISC. I got Professor Justin Patch and Professor Alex Kupfer. Thanks for listening to us. Duke it out over Zoom. I know it had some technical awkwardness 
which was inherent to kind of trying this up again, but I really appreciate you guys taking the time today. Of course, man. My pleasure. Yeah.